You make us an object of contention for our neighbors and our enemies laugh among themselves. Restore us, O God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts, look down from heaven and see and have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man, whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back to you from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine, that we might be saved. Uh, let's pray together. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that uh, you, you have given it to us because you love us. Spirit, I pray that you would illumine our minds and hearts uh, for us to know your will and for us to worship you. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Um, how do you respond to pain? Uh, how do you respond to God uh, when you experience pain in your life? Do you uh, with, run from him? Do you withdraw? Do you try to stuff it or numb it, numb it or minimize it? Um, do you respond in bitterness or anger? Um, or do you respond uh, by praying to the Lord? Uh, this morning, uh, we're, we're in the Psalms, and um, it's helpful to remember that the Psalms were originally songs that were sung, sung in worship together uh, by the people of Israel. And there's lots of different varieties of Psalms. If you've been in the Psalms at all, you know that they're all very different from each other. Uh, but Psalm 80 is a Psalm that is known as a corporate lament. Um, it's an anguished prayer to God coming from a community that is suffering together. Um, and that is one of the main things that the Psalms of Lament teach us, is they teach us to pray our pain, uh, to not minimize it, uh, to not respond in anger, but actually to, to pray to God through our pain. And in particular, this Psalm teaches us to do that as a community, not just as individuals, but as a church. And it's amazing that in God's scripture, in God's revelation of himself, that he has provided us these prayers, these psalms, where people are learning to pray their pain together. And if you've read the psalms at all, you know that, that a lot of them are very honest. They're very raw. Uh, they're uncensored. They're unfiltered. Um, and it's amazing. I think what's amazing is that it reveals to us about God, um, that God is not absent from our pain. He's not aloof from our pain, but he's actually present in it. And that he wants us to commune with him as we experience suffering. He longs for us to really wrestle with him and cry out to him. It reveals that he is a God of mercy and grace. And so we're going to look at two things here from Psalm 80 about what it looks like to learn to pray our pain. Um, Psalm 80 teaches us first that we are to come and lament boldly to our sovereign shepherd. We're to lament boldly to our sovereign shepherd. So the central image in this psalm is that of a vine, of a vine that was once fruitful and flourishing, but has now been cut down and burned up and is actually exposed and vulnerable to wild animals in the forest. Um, and this image of the vine is used throughout scripture to depict the nation of Israel as a whole. And the story of this vine is the story of God's redemption. It's a story of God bringing them up out of slavery in Egypt um, and bringing them to the promised land and allowing them to flourish 
um, and allowing their borders to expand all throughout the promised land. This is what verse 8 says. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. This is a, a beautiful image of not just what God had saved Israel from, but also what he had saved them to. That he had saved them uh, from slavery and brought them into the promised land to be his holy people, to be his royal priesthood, and to be a light to the Gentiles. His whole plan in redemption was that Israel would be a blessing to all the nations, all the peoples of the earth. Um, But of course, things did not go according to this plan. God's vine had ceased to be the source of God's fruitful blessing to the whole world. This is uh, what the psalmist picks up in verses 12 and 13. Why then have you broken down its walls? so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit. The boar from the forest ravages it, and all that move in the field feed from it. And to understand uh, what is happening in the psalm, we kind of have to understand a little bit of historical context. Um, Scholars debate the exact timing of this psalm, but most believe that it is written written about the 8th century BC, um, sometime after the northern kingdom of Israel fell. Uh, the Assyrian Empire, the great Assyrian Empire, came uh, and attacked the northern kingdom of Israel. They came and laid siege to the city, 2 Kings 17 tells us. They laid siege to the city for three years, the capital city of Samaria. And eventually the Assyrian army captured Samaria. Um, And they uh, defeated their armies, but they also took the people and they carried them off into exile uh, throughout the Assyrian Empire. But the king of Assyria didn't just do that. He didn't just defeat their army. He didn't just capture the people and bring them into exile. He also took people throughout the Assyrian Empire and relocated them into the cities of Israel. Um, It was an incredibly grievous time. It was a great time of loss. They weren't only experiencing complete upheaval and pain and grief, but it was also quite humiliating as a nation to not just be carried into exile, but also for other people to come and live in the cities in which they once lived. It's important to note that 2 Kings makes it clear that Israel was actually not exactly innocent in their suffering. 2 Kings 17, 8 and 9 tell us that all this took place because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord, their God, who had brought them up out of Egypt under the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. They worshiped other gods and followed the practices of the nations the Lord had driven out before them, as well as the practices that the king of Israel had introduced. And so while Israel, this once flourishing vine, had been cut down by their enemies, um, it was, 2 Kings 17 tells us, it was primarily because they, that Israel had rebelled against its own gardener. And so this psalm is a cry of lament for God, their gardener, to make this vine fruitful again. It's coming from the people who, who are not only suffering, uh, but who are experiencing God's hand of judgment. And they need, they need God to not only heal their wounds and to dry their tears, but to bring about a, totally, uh, a total uh, spiritual renewal and revival. They, they need God to bring them to repentance and to restore them as a nation. And we can see just how, how desperate their situation is uh, by how boldly they lament to, to God. I, I don't know if you noticed this in, in the first time that we read the text, but in just, there's just 19 verses, and in 19 verses there are 16 commands. There are 16 commands that the people cry out to God. They are praying and urging and asking and pleading God to do things. 
Hear us, save us, return to us, stir up your might, restore your favor. Uh, this is, is incredibly bold. It makes me think about uh, the boldness that little kids have uh, when they fall down and get hurt, uh, especially when they're, they're learning to walk. Uh, little kids who are learning to walk, they, they stumble and they fall a lot, um, and, and they often hurt themselves as they, as they do. Um, and so w- what do they do when, when little kids fall down and hurt themselves, right? They, they cry out. Um, they cry out with boldness. <laughs> they cry out uh, loudly uh, until, you know, for mom and dad to come and rescue them. Um, and and they, they do this because they know their parents. They do this because they know <laughs> that their parents are going to respond. Um, they know that their parents are not only compassionate enough to hear them, but they are also powerful enough to rescue them. Uh, they are incredibly bold. And I think that this is what we are called to do um, in our pain, that we are called to be like little children in our boldness before God. Um, I think the writers of the Psalms knew the God that they were praying to. Uh, and we see this in verse 1, this reference to God, the God who is enthroned on the cherubim. And this was a reference to the Ark of the Covenant in the, in the temple, um, where there were two angels made of gold that faced either side of the Ark of the Covenant. And this was made to, to image the heavenly reality um, in heaven where, where, where Yahweh, the Lord, is surrounded by angels. These glorious beings. And he is surrounded by all these angels uh, who, yet their glory pales in comparison with the glory of Yahweh. In the company of the angelic hosts, he alone is enthroned. He alone is exalted. In verses 1 and 2, the people cry out, You who are enthroned, stir up your might and come and save us. You you who are powerful enough to rescue us, come and save us. And yet what's so amazing about this text is that even, even though this is the God who is enthroned above the glory of the angels, that this God is also a tender shepherd. Because verse 1 also says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. Throughout scripture, God is pictured as a shepherd, as one who relates to his people, as a shepherd relates to his sheep, as one who leads them and provides for them and cares for them. And it is to this sovereign shepherd that they are learning to pray their pain. They pray the pain of of feeling like a God has turned against them. In verse four, the psalmist prays, O Lord, God of hosts, how long will you be angry with your people's prayers? Uh, Have you ever been in a season where you feel like God is angry with you? Where you feel like he's displeased with you? Where you feel like he's turned against you? This is what they're experiencing. This is what they're feeling. Uh, In verse 5, they they pray the pain uh, that is utterly overwhelming to them. This is, listen to how they describe their pain. You have fed them with the bread of tears and you've given them tears to drink in full measure this is incredible vivid imagery have you ever been so overwhelmed by pain so overwhelmed by grief or loss that it feels like you have been given the bread of tears that it feels like you have been been served a bowl full of tears to drink where where your pain feels more real to you than the food that you eat this is what they're experiencing I know that some of you have experienced this. I know that I have experienced this in my life. And the question is, what do you do with that? How do you respond to that? Verse 6, they pray the pain of being humiliated before their neighbors. They say, you make us an object of contention before our neighbors, and our enemies laugh among themselves. Again, this, this wasn't just a time of communal suffering. It was also a time of national 
humiliation. And so they, they lament boldly, though. They lament boldly because they know that, that Yahweh not only has the power to save them, but he has, he has compassion enough to hear them. And, and this is why we can lament boldly in our pain as well. Um, as a church, we, we may not be experiencing exactly what Israel experienced, but we do experience degrees of sorrow and pain in our life. And, and we experience those things individually, but we can also experience those things together. And when we do, when, when we as a community experience difficult things together, um, we're called to enter into one another's lament. Uh, Paul reminds us in Romans 12 that, that we are to mourn with those who mourn. Uh, he also says in 1 Corinthians 12 that, that if one part of the body of Christ suffers, that we all suffer. Um, no matter how big or how small, we are, we are called to enter into one another's lament and pain. Um, and, and the people of Israel were bold in this psalm to cry out to their shepherd. But, but we have reason to be even bolder. Because the shepherd of Psalm 80 is also the good shepherd of John chapter 10. Uh, in, in John chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for my sheep. Uh, friends, do you, do you know why Jesus is such a good shepherd? Uh, because when we are overwhelmed with pain, we can remember that he too was fed the bread of tears. That he too uh, was overwhelmed with grief to the point of death. That he, that, he experienced, that he drank the bowl of tears in full measure. When we feel even, maybe even humiliated in our pain and suffering. That Jesus Christ was someone who was despised and rejected by men. He was mocked as a criminal. He died the most humiliating death that anybody could die. And that's really what I want us to see this morning, that even as this text calls us to lament boldly, even more so I want to see who we, who we are called to lament boldly to. That the God who is exalted and enthroned above the cherubim is also the man of sorrows, who is familiar with suffering. That's the God that we get to pray to. Hebrews 4, 15, uh, sorry, Hebrews 4, 5 and 6 say, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way yet without sin. And, and, here, and here's, here's, here's the encouragement to boldness. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace in our time of need. There is no experience, there's no pain, there's no suffering uh, that we can go through that Jesus Christ himself hasn't already been through. And that should, that should give us an incredible amount of boldness. We just have to be bold enough to ask him. And we have to be bold enough to do this together. Um, so we have to, so Psalm 80 shows us that we have to lament boldly to our sovereign shepherd. But it also shows us, it, it also teaches us that we have to trust confidently in our covenant-keeping king. We have to trust confidently in our covenant-keeping king. The repeated request of this psalm is restore us, O God. Over and over again, you see us in this passage, restore us, O God. It's a prayer for God to return his favor to the whole nation of Israel, that, that he would shine his face upon them again and specifically that he would do this by restoring Israel's king. So in verses 17 and 19, it says this, But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we might be saved. Uh, the son of man, the man of your right hand, here in, in, this, in this psalm, uh, it refers to the king of Israel. Uh, throughout the history of Israel, there, there was a pattern. 
uh, as the king goes, so goes the people. Uh, when Israel had a, a good king, one who was faithful to God's covenant to obey him, to, to worship him rightly, uh, that was a season where God's face was shining on them. And it was a season where the, the, all the people were, were blessed. Israel did have some kings, but if you know uh, the nation of Israel, you know they also had bad kings. They actually had uh, the, the kingdom of Israel and Judah together had, had disproportionately more bad kings than good kings. And so when, when the kings did not lead the people in faithfulness, when they did, did not worship God rightly, uh, it was a season where God turned his face away and when he was not blessing the people. Where he, and actually, if you read 2 Kings 17, it actually tells us that God removed his presence from them in judgment. And so even in this darkest time of Israel's history, even though God is, God's face is turned against them, they still knew that if there was any hope of restoration, if, if God was going to shine his face on them again, it was going to be through the restoration of their king. They knew that God was going to restore his people through their king, the Son of Man. The prophet Daniel picks up this Son of Man imagery in Daniel chapter 7. In Daniel 7, Daniel gets this vision uh, of uh, the end of days, and he says, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man. The same language. Coming with the clouds of heaven, he approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority and glory and sovereign power. All peoples, nations, and men of every language worshipped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is a, a prophetic image that is looking forward to the day when Israel's king would be restored to this, his throne, and, and God's favor would be returned, and all the nations of the earth would be blessed through him. And so we have this dual imagery here in this psalm. On one hand, there is this plea for God to restore his vine, to restore his people. And on the other hand, we also have this plea for God to restore uh, his king to restore the Son of Man at his right hand. Uh, God, restore your people, restore your king, let your face shine again. That's the thrust of the psalm. And, and the incredibly good news that this psalm points us to is that the bold requests of Psalm 80 to both restore God's people and restore Israel's king are both fulfilled in Jesus Christ. When Jesus arrives on the scene, he says, the kingdom of God is here. And that's because he, he's the true king. He is the son of man at God's right hand. In his life and ministry, God's hand was on him to powerfully preach and proclaim and demonstrate the kingdom of God. In his death and resurrection, he conquered our, our enemies of sin and death. In his ascension, Jesus is now seated at the right hand of God, and he, he will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. He is the king who is at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus also says in John 15, he says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Jesus is not only the true king, he's also the true vine. He is the true people of Israel, because he alone was faithful to fulfill God's covenant. He was faithful to complete all the requirements of the law. And because he fulfilled Israel's calling, he is now God's source of blessing to all the nations. And those who place their trust in Jesus, are engrafted into this vine. When we, play, when we place our confidence, when we place our trust in Christ, we become, John 15 says, we become branches of his vine. And we become part of the vine that will never be cut down. We become part of the vine that will never be burned up. Because Jesus is the, is the vine. And it is guaranteed that one day in Christ that all the nations of the earth are going to enjoy his fruit and rest in his shade. And so Psalm 80 calls us to confidently trust in Jesus our covenant-keeping king. 
because it is through Jesus that God brings restoration to his people and it's through Jesus that God brings his blessing to the nations. It's through Jesus that God makes his face shine. And this is so important, I think, especially because this psalm brings our pain to God, because this psalm teaches us to to pray our pain. Because one of the experience, maybe you've had this experience, I know I have, when we go through suffering, one of the questions that I think we often ask is, is God angry with me? Like, is God displeased with me? Has his face been turned against me? Am I experiencing these circumstances because God is, for some reason, judging me? Uh, And this is kind of one of the main questions. In verse 4, they ask God, how long will you be angry with us? And so this question can be difficult to answer when this side of, of heaven suffering is, is still such a mystery. We often don't know why things happen to us. Um, we don't know what God is up to. But even though suffering is still a mystery, this side, uh, this side of heaven, uh, the good news is that even though we might not know the answer to why God would bring pain and suffering into our life, we can have a great deal of confidence at what the answer is not. At what the answer is not. It's not because he doesn't love us. It's not because he's not with us. What? Look, look at the vine. Look at Jesus. He's our, he's our true vine. He, our life is in him and his life is enough. And he's, he's with us by his spirit, even if we can't feel it. Romans 8 uh, gives us this great deal of confidence that, that nothing can separate us from his love. No amount of pain or suffering. Uh, we can have great confidence that, that it's not because God is angry with us. That is not because God is displeased with us. Look at Jesus. The gospel is that all of God's wrath for sin was poured out on him so that there is 0% left for you and I. And even though it might feel like God is angry with us, we can have confidence through his word that all of God's judgment for sin has been fully exhausted on Jesus. And so even when we go through suffering, we can know that we still have the smile of God, that we still have the favor of of God, that he's delighted in us and he's pleased with, pleased with us. And even though we, we may not know the exact reason why we're going through what we're going through, we, we can know, we can have a great deal of confidence that God's face shines on us, even in dark times. Jesus received all of God's anger and wrath so that we can know that in, in our deepest pain and in our darkest nights, we, we have the, fought, the favor and the smile of God that we are clothed in the righteousness of Jesus and nothing can take that away. Friends, it's, it is the favor of God. It is the smile of God that allows us to pray our pain in the first place, that allows us to begin this process of learning to lament before God. Um, and, and the thing is that we might know that those things are true, but it, it's still hard, right? Like, it, it's still hard to learn what it means to pray our pain. And, and I want us to remember, again, that this is, a, this is a lament that is prayed by the whole community, that oftentimes when we're actually going through a dark night, we, that's why we need one another. Like we need other people to come teach us what it means to remember that God's our shepherd, that he's our king, that he's not turned his face from us, that he's with us. We need to pray with and for one another to help us when we can't pray, to remind us of the favor of God, that he's our shepherd who's with us, that he's our king who will one day replace the bread of tears with an incredible feast. And that one day, not only is he going to make his, shine, his face shine on us forever, but we are actually going to see his face face to face. We're going to see him. And we need one another to remind us of that, ho- our, that hope. 
And as we do, that's what it means to learn to pray our pain. That we come and we learn to lament boldly and we learn to trust confidently that God is going to keep his promises. And we do this with one another. And friends, I just want to invite you uh, this week, this month, uh, as you, uh, in your life as a church and also as you spend time with family over the holidays, to consider what does it mean for me to enter into the pain of others and lament of others? And what does it mean for me to, to lament boldly and help other people trust the promises of God? Let me pray for us. Lord, thank you for your word. Uh, Lord, thank you that you give us the gift of these psalms that allow us to wrestle honestly with you, allow us to wrestle boldly with you, and that we can be, yeah, we can be honest about what's really going on. And uh, Lord, I pray for all of us uh, that, that we would uh, learn to bring our lament, learn, learn to bring our pain before you, and that we would rest that in the midst of that, that we have your smile, that we have your favor, um, and that you love us and that you're with us and that you're never going to leave us. Um, we thank you for these great promises uh, fulfilled for us in Christ. And we pray this in Christ's name.